Thanks, Deirdre. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you all. So as Deirdre mentioned, we are working through the books of First and Second Peter this, this fall. And uh, we've been through a, a couple passages so far. And Peter has stated that the, that the goal of our faith, the object of our faith, is the salvation of our souls. And this is something that we're going to continue to emphasize as we go through this book because, you know, traditionally we have an understanding that, that our souls being saved is, is the, our spirit selves that will someday be in heaven for eternity when we die or when Jesus returns. And that's really not what that phrase means. And he's going to refer to it throughout the book, salvation of souls is the whole person experience, not just the eternal spirit. It's the emotional and psychological and physical and, yes, uh, spiritual aspects of, of who we are. Peter is talking about us as human beings being saved wholly to become the, the human beings that God has created humanity to be. And God has provided this salvation through the Father's choosing. So we spent a little time that first sermon on what it means to be chosen. Uh, Peter says that it's the Spirit then that has cleansed and washed and sanctified us from our sins. And then Jesus Christ's sacrifice was our ransom in buying us from literally the slave market of sin, which freed us from slavery. So he's explained a little bit about how each member of of the triune God, has been a part of this salvation. Last week, we looked at, at, a, at the significant need, the total need that we have to be saved, to be freed. And we saw that there were two things that, that control us as human beings on this, this planet. We have passions and de desires that control us. And then there are social and cultural norms that also pressure us to conformity. And, and then that uh, the idea of being saved, see, it's, it's these things that are destroying us. You know, we, look, we looked at a few of these passions. We looked at substance abuse and greed and uh, compulsive spending and sexual addictions. We looked at some of these examples of, of things that are destroying us as human beings, things that enslave us. And so this, these are what we need to be saved from, the here and now. Also eternal, but the here and now. We need to be saved from our passions and these social and cultural pressures and norms. But Peter really hasn't been specific yet um, about what it is exactly that we need to be uh, saved from and saved to. The rest of the book's going to talk about that. But up until this point, up until tonight's sermon here in chapter 1, verse 22, he hasn't gotten specific. But the first thing that he will address the first thing that he's going to because he said hey be holy for god is holy and and resist these these passions it's good, those are two consistent themes that we're going to see throughout the book the first enslaving passion that he's going to specifically address the first unholy and evil behaviors that peter is going to address are those things that are that arise within us when we experience a weak sense of belonging, a weak sense of belonging. 
it's a, it's a growing scientific field, this, this understanding of, of belonging, a science of belonging. Jeffrey Cohen is one of the leading scientists out of Stanford University. I just released a, ba- a book last year called Belonging. Brings a lot of research from the, the last few decades that he's been working on this. And here's what he says. Research shows that when our sense of belonging is threatened, even momentarily, We're more likely to feel worse about ourselves, perform below our potential, behave impulsively, see others as hostile, and lash out defensively when provoked. So in other words, what the research shows on belonging and a sense of belonging is that when we feel left out or when we feel excluded, when we feel alone, we really kind of lose it. And we start to do things that destroy ourselves and destroy other people. They say our desire to belong is among the most powerful forces to be found. He also says this. Experimental research finds that after being excluded, people conform more to the judgments of peers who offer a new source of belonging, even when their judgments are patently Wrong. And so one of the examples that they have in the book is how could, how could the nation of Germany, one of the most um, you know, intellectual and modern civilizations in the mid-1900s, commit such atrocities on such a broad scale? How could such a few people get the entire nation behind what they did at the Holocaust? And it, it's this desire and this pressure to conform, this pressure to belong. You'll, we will even go against what we believe in order to belong, to not be excluded. So if we think about the situation that, these, that the recipients of Peter's letters are at, they are exiles. And that's not just a spiritual metaphor that means that you know your home is in heaven, you're here on this earth for a season, so you're in exile. That is a metaphorical idea in the Bible, in the New Testament. But they were actually exiles. They had been most likely kicked out of Rome for their faith, either they're Jewish or Christian, which in the, the, the pagan peoples at the time, uh, the non-God-fearers at the time, Uh, kind of lumped the Christians and the Jews all into one pile. And so these were people that were forced from their homes, forced from their lands. Their assets were stolen because of their faith. And then they're forced into a culture that is hostile to them. So they, they are feeling excluded from the institutions and the regular life of these new places. So who are these people going to turn to for a sense of belonging? for a sense of belonging. How are they going to, to um, fit into this culture and maintain a posture of holiness and a resistance to passions that are all bubbling to the surface whenever, they, whenever we feel, whenever they felt, excluded, isolated, and cast out? Now, there's another question to consider. I was telling, I was telling uh, Ryan uh, when he came in this evening Um, It's not very often um, 
that I, that I study a passage in preparation for preaching where I have a significant aha moment. I, I, I pray regularly in repetition of a prayer that, that David prays in the Psalms. He says, Lord, show me wondrous things from your law. So I pray that, Lord, show me wondrous things from your law. And I felt like I had an experience this week where I, where I, I had one of these aha moments. And, it, and, and I'm sure that there are many of you that have already recognized this. But I asked, the, I asked myself this question, why is this the first thing that Peter addresses? He's explained the gospel and how it moves us into holy living. Why is the first instruction on holy living instruction on being a community? You know, we, we typically think that successful people will eventually find a place where they belong, right? That's kind of, that's how I've thought anyway. I don't want to presume upon all of you in terms of that's how you've thought. Successful people will eventually find their place. And if you don't find your place, it's because you haven't worked hard enough or whatever. But it's actually the opposite. See, the reason why, why Peter has this at the beginning is that he understands, informed by the Holy Spirit, that, that isn't, success isn't what brings you to a place of belonging. It's having a sense of belonging that makes you successful. Um, it, it has, I mean, I, I, I got to deepen a lot in it, <laughs> but it has made me think a lot differently about things. Um, I'm a performance guy, and people will feel um, like I don't approve of them if they don't perform to a standard, and they feel that from me. And I'm, this is not actually, I didn't, I'm not, didn't plan to share this, but I, it's, it's been a, just as over the last few days I've, I've thought about this, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, and then I began to think about Paul's letters. It's the same thing. The first instructions on holiness are about belonging to a community because they recognized, again by the Holy Spirit, that if we have a sense of belonging, we, we are strengthened to be successful. So the first thing that Peter does is instruct them on who they are, on who they are as a people, on who, the, who they belong to. So he begins this section with a command. Since your souls have been cleansed or purified for love, then love. Love one another with a brotherly love. And it's really really cool how he unfolds this passage and i didn't see this until until last night i was just i you know i go to bed and i try to meditate i try to take the last few hours of my night before preaching i try to get into the text and and i'm reading about it i'm thinking about it so when i go to bed i'm kind of thinking about it so i was getting ready for bed and i just had this realization and i had to go down and write it down on my notes before i fell asleep he develops this idea like according to the stages of a person's development. And so he begins with conception. Since you have been born again with imperishable seed, which is the gospel, not born from the perishable seed. So this is, this is human conception. 
This is human conception. It's the word sperm here, this word seed, which is from Genesis chapter 3 is a very important theological term for all of, all of Scripture. So you have been born with an imperishable seed. Not like you were born into humanity. You were born into the family of God through the gospel. The gospel never dies. You're not like the grass that fades away. You're not like other human beings that'll just fade away and die. Then he moves to a nursing infant. So you've been born with the gospel. You've been born with an imperishable seed. So you've been born into this family. So he's building up who they, who they are as a people, who they are as an, not just an individual identity, but who they are collectively, who they belong to. He says, he says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. That's actually the imperative in the passage, and these other things are all participles. It begins, the texts begin with put away malice and all these things. But the, the actual command is like newborn infants. So you're born, then you're becoming infant. Like a newborn infant, long for the pure spiritual milk. Well, what is the pure spiritual milk? The pure spiritual milk are those things that grow you up, the text says, that grow you up for salvation. The language there is not singular. We read it and we read it at plural. What do I need to do in order to grow up into my salvation? What do I need to do in order to grow up so that my soul is saved, every aspect of my person? It's a plural. Yous and yours in this passage are plural. So he's saying to the church body, you all need to pursue what you need to pursue to grow up together to be mature. So Pure spiritual milk is the pursuit of, of God. It's the pursuit of God's teachings. It's the pursuit of, of actions, putting on things and putting off things that build up a sense of belonging, that build up the community. So there's the putting on of brotherly love. Brotherly love. And, and I would strongly encourage this book. I'm going to try to read the entire book called belonging because it's just full of all of these instances where the the smallest actions that we take um, in our communications and actions towards people can can significantly relate this feeling to others that they that they belong that you care about them that you love them so we're commanded to put on brotherly love he doesn't get specific about that again that's going to unfold throughout the rest of the book but then he says here's some things you need to put off so these are these are some of these passions and desires and and things that the world does all of these things undermine a sense of belonging so malice malice is just being mean put off being mean put off deceit quit lying and manipulating for your own gain Put off hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is it's, it's insincere motivations. It's saying that you're going to do something and here's why you're doing it, but it's, it's exactly the opposite. Be sincere. Envy. Envy is where you despise someone because they have an advantage that you don't have. Maybe it's something that they own. Maybe it's, maybe it's who they are. Maybe it's their job. Maybe it's their, their spouse. Whatever. 
when we envy somebody, we're, we, we are despising them because we, we wish we were like them. All these things break down a sense of belonging. Slander. Slander is when we tear somebody down verbally. So these people are under pressure. And when we're under pressure and when we're under stress, especially when it's stress and pressure that makes us feel isolated and alone and excluded, we tend to attack. There's a whole chapter in this, in this book on um, when, we, when we feel insecure, we, we grow our sense of security and personal strength by tearing others down. To make us feel up, we tear others down. That's what we do. That's what human beings do. That's one of these things that we're enslaved to. That's one of the things that we as individuals need to be saved from, and collectively as a community, we need to be saved from. So they, they have been born with the imperishable seed of the gospel. They are being nourished by the pure spiritual milk, those things that build up a sense of belonging. And then it says, you are a member of a family. You are a building block of the temple of God. And so these two ideas are kind of in this next stage. So as they become mature, they take on the role of the family. So one of the things that, that as you move beyond infancy is that you begin to recognize that you're a part of a family and you need to make some contributions to that family. And this is where he begins to explain that there are purposes, that there are callings that we have as individuals and as a community together as God's family. We are a spiritual family, which means that it is something that the Holy Spirit has created through the gospel and is continuing to build up. We are a holy priesthood and we are a temple. So these are ideas. So there are Jewish Christians in, the, in their midst. It's not all Jewish Christians. There's a lot of Gentile Christians in these, in these uh, churches as well. But he's drawing upon these ideas. You as a member of God's family, are filling the role that the old temple out of Exodus and then the second temple, uh, well, the tabernacle in Exodus, Solomon's temple, and then the temple, the, the second temple in the time of Jesus Christ, you are actually the real temple. Those were all images. And the temple was a, was a very significant and substantial symbol in the minds of the Jews. Those were just images of this better thing. Because one of the things that we've seen, Peter says, all of that stuff that has come before through the prophets, they were all here to serve you. You, as God's people, are the temple. The Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. That same spirit that only one person a year could see under the law. He is now indwelling all of you. So purpose, purpose is now coming into this idea of what it means to belong to God's family. So we're born into the family through the gospel. We are, we are nourished by the pure milk that brings us together as a family. We grow and begin to recognize that we as a purpose, we are representing God on this earth to the rest of humanity. And we make spiritual sacrifices, which are those things that we do to honor God and contribute to the family and grow the sense of belonging. And then finally, he moves them into this fourth stage. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
and a holy nation. So they've gone from a newborn baby to an infant to a member of a family to now they are a nation. Now you are a nation. You are a distinct royal and priestly nation. You're feeling overwhelmed by this Roman Empire. The Roman Empire doesn't go back as long as God's people did historically. The Roman Empire fell in 400 BC. God's people, God's nation still exists. It is an imperishable one. And the purpose that you have as a nation is to proclaim the excellencies of God since God has called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. So you once were blind, now you can see. And so they have this special status now. Once you were not a people. And here's what he's saying. You were nobodies. You were nobodies. You were excluded. But now you are a people. You're not a nobody anymore. You're not excluded anymore. You have identity. You have belonging. You, you are part of a nation that will never perish. You are part of the nation that is God's family. You are part of the nation that will be the only nation that lives for eternity and experiences honor. And then he says, once you were outside of the kindness of God, once you, were not, once you did not receive mercy, but now you've received mercy. Basically, he's saying, you once were the have-nots. That's, that's what we would say in our modern lingo. There are the haves and the have-nots. You used to be a have-not. Now you're one that has. You have experienced the mercy of God. So if you think about the condition of these exiles, you know, they, they, they felt shame, they felt exclusion as unwanted and persecuted people. And this was real. I mean, imagine if... if you were forced to leave your home, leave all your assets, and move to a place where you didn't know, you didn't, brand new. And you moved in, foreign culture, they were harsh towards you because you're taking their jobs, all the same dynamics that we experience today. He's saying that these things, yes, it's a real experience that you're having, but it's all a mirage. It's all a shadow. These things are all going to melt away and you will remain. You're part of something bigger than the Roman Empire. You are, you are at the foundation of God's work in the world and throughout all of history. Rome would eventually fall. You as God's people will remain for eternity. So it's a true and lasting sense of belonging that can only be found in in God and his people, since God, through Jesus Christ, demonstrated eternal life through his resurrection of the dead. That's the living hope. Everything comes back to the resurrection of the dead. That's why Paul says, listen, if the resurrection didn't happen, we are of all people the most to be pitied because Christianity is bogus. We live forever. The people, the nation of God lives forever. Again, uh, Jeffrey Cohen, this scientist, he says, even fleeting experiences of belonging, such as glimpsing pictures of people who care about us, can have far-reaching effects. They raise our sense of well-being and self-worth, improve our performance, lessen our defensiveness and hostility, 
increase our tolerance of outsiders and make us more compassionate. And this is why I included this quote. He says, we become more humane. We become more of who God has created us to be if our sense of belonging is secure. And there is no more secure sense of belonging than belonging to the imperishable family of God that will go on for eternity, where the people, um, by the Holy Spirit, have an obligation, but not just an obligation, have the desire to make everybody feel like they belong because when we all grow in our sense of belonging, we're all experiencing the salvation of our souls. So there's some takeaways. So for those of you have, who have not put their, your faith in Jesus Christ, I know you have a longing. We all have the longing. He says, long, like a nursing infant. We, we have a longing for this sense of family. We have this longing to belong. And it, it ultimately cannot be satisfied until we've come into a place of, of belonging that can't be taken away. Because all else perishes. You know, and I'm sure that all of us could just list off numerous examples of times when they felt like they were really a part of something and times where you felt extremely excluded. I got just two quick examples from, from my own life. So when I was in fifth grade, I played hockey in, my, in fifth grade. It's the only year I played hockey, and I loved it. And I was always a little overweight, and so I couldn't compete with my cousins and friends who were faster because they were thinner <laughs> but for some reason I could skate and so uh, you know I was I was on the hockey league for that age and I think it was called the peewees the peewee is that how, is that what they call it okay so that wasn't just a Missouri thing anyway but then there was the bantam league and I wanted to be on the bantam league right so what just one day um we were at the rink. It wasn't a practice session or anything. It was just our families went, me and my cousins and brothers, and, and we were just skating. I was trying to hockey stop because I saw the band of players all hockey stopping. I was like, oh, if I could just do that. This guy named David, I remember him. He saw me trying, and he spent two hours showing me how to hockey stop. And I said, I can, I can be on the Bantam League now. And I remember, I remember, and I felt cared for. I felt loved. He taught me something I wanted to learn. And for the rest of the year, when we'd go back to the free skating, I would look for never saw him again. But he made me feel important just by showing me how to do that. I had to quit hockey the next year because all the games were on Sundays and my folks wouldn't want to travel, so it was useless. But anyway, there's another example in sixth grade, my best friend had a birthday party, and it was out on his farm. All the, all the boys from our sixth grade class went. He didn't invite me. I remember. I mean, this was like vivid. I was crying. It was a disaster. I felt excluded. 
again, we can all, we, we, we all aspire to things in order to be included or to sense that we're in this club or in this group or have this identity. And the things that we pursue either in terms of um, sexual gratification or the money we spend or homes we buy or the neighborhoods we move into or the cars we drive, uh, so many things that motivate us are driven by this desire to be like them, to belong. You know, they're all fleeting. They're all fleeting. Except for the family of God born through the gospel. So that is what, that is what God that, that thing that we long for, that we yearn for, that we spend all of our money and time and energies trying to do, God has provided through Jesus Christ and the gospel and his family, and his family. You know, this says, you, you've tasted that the Lord is good to those who have believed in the gospel. And if you've believed in the gospel, you have had a moment. Maybe it was when you first believed Maybe it was when God answered your specific prayers. Maybe it was during a quiet time. Maybe when it was a church service. But if you, if you know the Lord God and have believed in the gospel, you have tasted that the Lord is good and you never want it to go away. That, that tasting is what God is offering all of humanity. Second, there is no life in Christ outside of his people. It's increasingly becoming a thing for to, to be spiritual, uh, to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in the gospel, to become a child of God, but to stay isolated. Maybe you, you or your family had something, a negative experience in a church, and you've just pushed away. One of the things that this passage really shows is that, first time I looked at my watch, um, one of, this, one of the things that this passage really shows is that you, you cannot be a Christian and grow in godliness outside of his family. This is the first thing. Put away passions, put on love, belong to the family of God. If you are a Christian but aren't finding your ultimate sense of belonging in Christ's people, then where are you getting your sense of belonging? And my guess is wherever you're getting your sense of belonging is what's driving your moral choices. And third, while we do find our sense of belonging among Christ's people, it's not the people themselves that make God's family what it is. It's Christ himself. That's why Peter spends so much time on this idea that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this building. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this temple. Jesus Christ is the is the the creator of this, of this family. If we take our focus off Jesus Christ and put it on his people, our hope cannot be in people. <laughs> As you all know, if you've been into a church community very long, you are going to get into conflict with people in the church community. I mean, we are all called to put away sin. That's our job. Well, that sounds like a really enjoyable, lifelong work, doesn't it? And if you're a vocational minister, that's your... You deal with sin in this world. That's our calling as God's people. That's not necessarily a super pleasant calling unless the Lord's a part of it and through it we can taste and see that he's indeed good. But if our focus is on, which is what we can experience if our focus is on Jesus Christ, if our focus is on the people, they're going to disappoint us. We're going to disappoint each other. 
And we're, we're not going to experience this honor and this glory, and, and we're not going to taste and see that the Lord is good because our focus is on the wrong thing. Our hopes, our hopes need to be on the living hope of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. If our f- focus is on that as God's people, we will be effective and successful in being his people and accomplishing his purposes for us. Let me pray.